to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. just about 16 months, the Southeastern Conference will kick off its first year as a super conference with 16 teams. Texas and Oklahoma will officially be part of the SEC, and they'll be playing their inaugural league schedule, of which there is great anticipation. However, will that schedule include nine conference matchups, or eight? And how will the schedule flesh out for all the teams in the SEC? Some of those questions seemingly have answers in the wake of this week's SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida. To tell us everything that's occurred during the meetings, I welcome back Kevin Brockway, the Florida Gators beat writer for the Gainesville Sun. Kevin has been in Destin this week following the meetings live in person, and he's about to join us to fill us in on everything that's been said and what the next steps are. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. We're taping this late on a Wednesday after the day's events concluded at the SEC meetings, so let's not waste any time and get Kevin in here post-haste. Kevin, thanks for joining me again on the podcast. It's good to be back, Tim, in beautiful Sandestin here. Uh, Lots of uh, activity flurry going on here for SEC spring meetings and uh, lots of topics covered. But uh, I don't know how much new ground there's actually going to uh, be when the dust settles on on Friday and the presidents take the votes tomorrow. All righty. Well, you know, I appreciate you joining me late on a Wednesday here after kind of the main meetings from Tuesday and Wednesday are done. So before I get into specific questions, what are some of the things that jump out at you? Some of the uh, you said there's not huge news, but any of the news that came out that people would be interested in? Well, you know, I think in the beginning of the week, Greg Sankey was kind of optimistic about resolving the schedule issue and the fact that uh, he wanted the quote unquote plane to land. Um, and uh, the plane seems to be still circling. Um, I, I think the momentum is to stick it at eight games for the short term at this point um, because of the fact that, uh, you know, Scott Strickland's quote was, you know, Oklahoma and Texas being pushed up joining a year sooner. Um, you know, there's still a lot of schools that have some non-conference commitments for 2024, maybe that they don't want to break. And um, also uh, concerns about the college football playoff as well, how that would impact that either positively or negatively to expand and the unknown of that as it expands to 12 teams. So I think those are some factors that have been in play with regards to it. And uh, I would not be surprised to see them uh, state eight games. Now, how they divvy that up, uh, whether, you know, in terms of doing away with divisions, if it's going to be one permanent rival and then seven other teams that you can play every other year, I think that would probably be the way to go. But I don't know if it would necessarily be good in terms of for the fan experience in terms of, uh, you know, doing away with a lot of the rivalries because you would think that uh, you would have Florida Georgia as a rival and that's it. Uh, you'd lose that uh, Tennessee rivalry that I know fans kind of clamor for and enjoy. Yeah, it, it's short term. Does that just mean 2024 or does that mean the first two or three years of Texas, Oklahoma in the league? Did they kind of give an, any type of inkling of what that exactly entails? I would think maybe the first couple of years to get the lay of the land and then to see, you know, the other issue too is the ESPN TV contract also, if they could rework that in a few years, 
ESPN might be not in a position to give money in the short term, but maybe that would change. Uh, that's something that's been brought up. Of course, you know, Greg Sankey also had a quote in the beginning of the week that says, you know, money doesn't lead, it follows. Um, but that's easy to say for some of these athletic departments that might be still trying to recoup from the pandemic in 2020 uh, that could really use uh, the money uh, at, at this uh, at this stage of the game also. So I think that, uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to give away your uh, your inventory um, in, in regards to that. So that's a that's another factor, too. I think that uh, some, uh, you know, coaches and athletic directors and presidents have, have raised. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the TV. I believe I read somewhere that uh, Florida and Georgia, and is it Georgia and South Carolina, they'll still be on CBS this year, and that's because uh, things aren't moving over to ABC and ESPN until the following year, or how is that going to work? Yeah, that's correct. This is the last year of uh, the uh, SEC and uh, on CBS, and uh, of course, you know, they announced yesterday, no surprise, Florida Georgia is going to be at 3.30 p.m., which, uh, you know, is a traditional and then uh, also announced today uh, was Florida's uh, start times for the first four games. They're all going to be night games uh, and the Gators are going to be um, starting out in prime time at Utah and ESPN eight o'clock. And then you've got uh, a 730 game against McNeese State, ESPN U, uh, a seven o'clock game against Tennessee on ESPN and uh, a seven o'clock game on uh, against Charlotte on ESPN plus. So. Yeah, and the, the eight games you're talking about for 2024 when Texas and Oklahoma are there, so they, they mentioned that it'll probably stay at eight games, but did they say if they were going to still keep the two divisions for that year, or have they have they hinted at that, or will that be settled this week? I would think that that would be settled, and I would think I think they generally want to just scrap divisions starting in 2024 and do the 1-7 model and just have the top two teams play. So I, that's the direction they're going in. Okay. And what has uh, Billy Napier, I saw you had a story on him talking about the schedule. Uh, What was the Florida Gators coach saying about all this? Well, his concern is about the college football playoff and how it's going to impact that and how it's going to impact maybe strength of schedule either way, or the fact that if you do play a stronger schedule, is the CFP really going to reward that? Uh, That's another concern too. If, If you play nine games, um, and say you're a nine and three team in the SEC, are you going to get bypassed uh, by a ten and two team from another conference or an eleven and one team just based on ones and losses? Because uh, that's really uh, you know we 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 we've seen that in the past. I think with you know the CFP being four teams with uh, you know teams from stronger conferences, even if they have two or three losses, they tend to get bypassed and lost in the shuffle. The strength of schedule component isn't as strong as maybe some coaches would like to believe. I mean, you could even talk about Alabama this year as an example, uh, you know, of, of that, you know, certainly they played in a stronger conference, uh, but uh, they got bypassed for, uh, you know, certainly a, a, a team like TCU and a team like uh, Ohio State that had less losses. So um, that's always interesting. First, Ohio State gave Georgia a great game um, and, and TCU ended up upsetting uh, Michigan. So uh uh, those three and four teams turn out to be certainly formidable, but we've seen in past years where maybe some SEC teams get bypassed and and then, you know, you, you did have the blowout in a championship game with TCU and Georgia where you wonder if maybe an Alabama was in there if the score wouldn't have been as lopsided. Can you imagine a scenario where three teams from the SEC are in the final four? <laughs> I don't know, but this is going to be the last year of the final four and then, you know, you're going to expand to 12. 
So, um, and I asked Greg Sankey about that in terms of, uh, you know, uh, how, you know, strike the schedule would impact without large teams. And he seems to think whether they, they're at eight or nine and, or 2024, it's really not going to make much of a difference that the league is going to be strong enough. And don't forget, these schools can compensate too by scheduling more Power Five non conference games. And certainly, Florida has one of those built in in playing Florida State every year. Um, you know, South Carolina has Clemson every year, right? You know, Kentucky has Louisville every year. So there are a few teams that have those natural rivalry games uh, as the ninth uh, as, as the ninth game. Well, there you go. Maybe we'll find a scenario where half of the 12 teams are from the SEC. Who knows? <laughs> you know, Kirby Smart, of course, Georgia head coach, Nick Saban, Alabama head coach. These guys are obviously people who are never short on opinions. So what have they been saying about this situation? Well, I think, you know, uh, you know, Nick Saban and Alabama's position is they've been very wary about the nine game schedules in terms of who their natural rivals are going to be. Right. They're concerned about if they have to play Tennessee every year and, and Auburn every year. Um, is that necessarily uh, the fairest way to go or LSU every year? You know, that would certainly be a, a gauntlet of a three team uh, you know, schedule um, as opposed to that. Uh, Nick Saban uh, also, you know, he was asked a lot about NIL and he talked about uh, unionizing players and it being, you know, creating more parity across the board. He was very opinionated about that, about the NIL issue. Um, the guy that was really uh, entertaining and surprising was Eli Drinkwitz from uh, Missouri. You know, he was the one that, that had the line uh, earlier on Tuesday about uh, uh, how most of these, uh, you know, kids that are playing football now are making uh, more in NIL money than uh, his brother, who's a pediatrician, who's making a six-figure salary, uh, which uh, certainly raised some eyebrows. So he uh, he was a guy that cut, and he was a very much a proponent of the nine-game schedule, and he felt like, you know, we have to think of not of you know he, he was saying not necessarily for your own self-interest, but for the good of college football. And here's a guy you like Drinkwitz, and certainly in a, a program like Missouri, where the easier bowl path for him would be eight games, and yet he's you know, considering, you know, Missouri standing in the league and so forth, you know, and, and uh, he's the one that's a proponent for a nine game schedule because he thinks uh, it's better for the game and better for the conference and better preserve the rivalry. So uh, that was a, a little bit of a courageous stand for him. I thought. I can't even imagine what a unionized college football would look like considering most of those kids are between 18 and 21, 22 years old. I mean, maybe they need to get one of those elder statesman 27-year-olds that show up on a roster. I, I have no idea how that would work. <laughs> I think Nick is concerned about the parity aspect of it. And, you know, he's always, obviously, you know, his feuds with Jimbo Fisher are well, uh, have been well chronicled. Um, but there, there's a little bit of, I think, a slight bit of self-interest there in terms of the fact that, you know, um, there are some states that have different NAL laws and that frustrates him and he feels like it's, it's not uniform. And the fact that, uh, you know, Jimbo can go in the state of Texas, that's a very rich state and raise more money, uh, for NAL to get more players. Uh, I think that, uh, irks, uh, Nick Saban a little bit, who's, even though Alabama is a tradition rich program, not necessarily the same, uh, economic force that the state of Texas is. Well, no. And, you know, I wrote a column a couple of years ago that people 
uh, lambasted me for this, but I still think it's a good idea. Limit the number of five-star players that are allowed per roster, and you're going to get more parity. So that's not just on the freshman level of incoming people, but through the transfer portal and other places. If you can only have like 12 or 15 total, you know, because each year, what are there, 100 five-stars total, and Georgia gets like 12 of them, and Alabama gets 15 of them. There's not a whole lot left for the rest of the country. So, you know, maybe they need to start limiting those things if they're truly worried about it. Yeah, exactly. I I agree. But then you get into the issue of, you know, where can you tell a kid where to go to school? You know what I mean? Or do you have a draft right with regards to that? Like, how do you how do you handle that? Um, And I I think that's hard because I think, you know, you're you're maybe limiting, uh, you know, an 18 year old's freedom as to, you know, where he wants to go. Because maybe while most of these guys we know somewhat major in football, maybe there's a certain area of study within that school that they like or something else that attracts to them. And uh it is a very select field, though. I think I think the five stars are about 50. So, I mean, it's a really limited field. And it is, you know, listen, Alabama and Georgia are getting a lot of them. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they've established winning traditions and they've established track records, certainly Nick Saban and Kirby Smart getting players to the NFL. And that's part of how you get, you know, good players. I mean, I saw it with, you know, Billy Donovan in basketball 10, 15 years ago, too. He was getting players to the NBA. And that certainly helps. And that's almost as good a recruiting tool as any because for as much money you can make in the NIL, you'll you'll make more money in the pros and if you have a track record to get players to the pros. Yeah, I'm trying to do math in my head. So if the NFL has seven rounds for a draft with 32 teams, Division One has 130 You'd have to have <laughs> you'd have to have something like a a forty round draft for college football. Dear God, help us! You're right. That's a bad idea. <laughs> so, so, Kevin, what what are some of the other things? You know, Texas and Oklahoma are there for the first time. What has been their input, or have they been you know fairly silent, or what's been going on with the two schools that will be joining next year? Well, we've seen the athletic directors. We saw Joe Castiglione this morning. We saw uh, we haven't talked to him, but. Uh, and apparently the presidents are here and even some of the writers, Kirk Bowles from the Austin American Statesman, he was joking around. He said, Texas wanted to be in here 20 years ago. He said, the fans are, are loving it, right, that they're coming to the SEC. And uh, I think that uh, most of the feedback has been pretty positive. And I think that they're certainly weighing in. They want to have a vote, but uh, I think they're certainly expressing uh, issues on, you know, th- their thoughts on issues such as NIL and and gambling, and uh, which has been a really big topic, uh, certainly that that we've asked about this week in light of, you know, what happened with the Alabama coach, uh, baseball coach, in terms of you know how you police that, uh, and and uh, we we talked with Alabama, you know, athletic director Greg Byrne today about that, and he said, you know, look, they're cooperating with the authorities, and uh, I guess there is a, a representative from uh, of Integrity, the company in Las Vegas that was here. This week, and a lot of schools are going to be bringing them uh, to their campus over the summer to really educate kids because that's been a real hot button topic as well. Well, sure. I mean, how on earth can they stop a kid or a coach from gambling on things online? Uh, you know, once these things are because with, you know, things like DraftKings and the other ones, you know, people can just go online and if they have a VPN, they don't even have to be in the state where it's legal. And, you know, there are ways to circumvent this. So how on earth can they actually police this and keep the integrity as gambling becomes more and more, you know, accepted? Yeah, I think, you know, most of the messages has been just, hey, you have to really hammer home to the players uh, the risks, which includes, you know, basically losing your eligibility. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's what Billy Napier, uh, told us this morning, uh, when we had a kind of a secondary interview with him, he discussed that, uh, 
that topic is that you really just got to hammer home the fact that, uh, you know, you could cost yourself your career if you're caught, um, you know, certainly in a, in a position. Well, what, what else is interesting, too, is and I never realized this. If you're a student athlete, you can play at a blackjack table, but you can't bet on anything uh, that has an NCAA championship. So you could probably bet on horse racing, but you can't bet on equestrian, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess it does make sense because you can't change the output. You know, if you're a college player, you can certainly affect a game. But if you're playing blackjack, you're getting those cards regardless. So, you know, I guess uh, the the lesson there is stick to roulette and blackjack, right? Exactly. Yeah, stick to the uh, sports where there are no championships and uh, you'll be fine. But uh, it's... um, it's you know it's it's certainly an, an interesting and, and strange world and like you said the accessibility I mean it's legal in 38 or 50 states now um, in the words of Greg Sankey it's become enculturated and uh, it's not legal in Florida but like you said with the VPNs and the other methods uh, there are certainly uh, ways around it uh, to be able to uh, to be able to place bets and. Uh, I think, you know, I think today's athletes, uh, you know, uh, uh, just uh, certainly need to be wary of it. And I think the coaches are, you know, the main message is, hey, we've just got to continue to educate our players the best we can and um, hope that uh, it's something that, uh, you know, certainly uh, that the athletes will will stay uh, straight and narrow on and, and understand the consequences. Yeah, I got to tell you, during the course of our lifetimes, Kevin, the two things that I think that have changed the most over the last 15, 20, 30 years is gambling and marijuana, two things that used to be extraordinarily taboo. And now it's like, here they are, it's legal, and good luck to you, student athletes, figure it out. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think those are two areas that, like you said, are very, uh, very commonplace now. And uh, I think certainly, you know, like I said, you know, there's some risks. And I think, you know, uh, the big risk, I, I think, in the old days was the fact that, uh, uh, particularly with the illegal gambling, you know, if you got, you know, a knee deep in a bookmaker, you know, he, he would influence you to throw a game. Um, but I think in the online world, it's a lot different and a lot more sophisticated, but you still worry about the integrity. You know, the other issue that they were bringing up this week were, would you be in favor of injury reports? Uh, to make it more transparent, because there's also a feeling of, you know, a lot of these athletes, you know, being able now to trade uh, inside information uh, to people um, if they know one of their teammates are injured, for example. Um, but, you know, having a transparent injury report would uh, would impact that. Uh, of course, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, had Tom Brady questionable every week for years, right, throughout his career. So, I mean, how honest are really the uh, injury reports that coaches are putting out right now? But, well, I think we're pretty fortunate that, you know, Billy Napier every week, she shares an injury report with us on Wednesdays. Um, he doesn't always specify the exact nature of the injury. It's usually upper body, lower body, right? Um, and coaches have that because they're concerned about, you know, opponents like targeting certain areas of the body too uh, in football uh, in terms of tackling and stuff. I, I kind of get that. But uh, I think Napier is, is probably, um, you know, uh, as transparent he, as he can be on the injury front. Yeah, you talk about bookies no longer being a prominent part. Wait till AI starts taking over some of this stuff. Who knows? A robot might show up at a kid's door. (laughs) Shaking him down, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you mentioned Missouri as being one of the, you know, smaller schools, I guess you would say, as opposed to like an Alabama, Tennessee, a Florida. But what are some of the other smaller schools saying, or are they even speaking up on on some of these issues, including schedules and other things? And uh, 
Could you ever see a scenario where some of the smaller schools may leave the SEC because they just have no chance? I think the money is too good. I think that's that's the issue. You know what I mean? And and I do think, I think you know. Listen, um, you know, you look at a school like South Carolina, for example. I mean, uh, they went out. They beat Clemson. Uh, they beat Tennessee at the end of the year. Whenever the Tennessee was on their way to an Eastern Championship, so you can see at times, you know, with this league. Um, I, I think you know the the big you know the tide raises all boats, and the fact that you've got um, you know, some teams, particularly Georgia right now in the East and so forth and everything, I think the competition level raises, and I think it helps you in your non-conference schedule. Um, you're a stronger team. You can, you can attract better athletes from being in the SEC um, just by selling that, that you have an opportunity to play Georgia. You have an opportunity to play these heavyweight programs. And I think that, uh, I think it certainly helps. And then when you get outside your conference, uh, you have a better chance of, uh, beating up on those teams, whether they be in other power five conferences. And you look at what South Carolina did to Clemson. I mean, that's a prime example. Clemson, you know, one of the best programs in the ACC in South Carolina goes up there and beats them on their home field. Um, it shows you really the strength of the league and the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the heavyweights, uh, it really filters down pretty well. All right. So a couple of years from now in Nashville, the uh, Vanderbilt Commodores upset the Alabama Crimson Tide. Will we see people storming the field? <laughs> I don't know, because uh, who knows if the fines are going to be too prohibitive then. And they've been talking about that this week. And Alabama coach Greg, uh, Alabama AD Greg Byrne um, certainly brought up the safety aspect, which has been brought up in the past by Jeremy Foley. And Florida's had a really strong culture of, uh, you know, not having their athletes in the field of competition. Josh Heupel was asked about that. You know, certainly Tennessee was on the other side, uh, you know, letting their fans storm the field against Alabama. And, uh, you know, uh, Heupel said, well, hey, look, player safety is important, but so is the passion of the game, the pageantry of the game. And maybe there's a way we could do it where, you know, everyone can be safe. But um, right now, the fines do not seem to be working as, as a major deterrent. And I don't know if you can get more creative with the fines or that there was certainly talk going into this about um, teams losing a home game, but that seems to be, and talking with uh, Greg Byrne today, that seems to be, uh, you know, not something that's going to be, uh, you know, seriously carried over. There's going to be too much opposition to that for that to happen. All right. So what is next now for these meetings? Tuesday and Wednesday are done. What happens uh, now and, and about decisions and things like that? Yeah, you know, it goes, you know, they go to vote on Thursday and then uh, uh, Greg Sankey will announce on Friday uh, whatever has been decided upon. And then from there, we'll see uh, with regards to the schedule, how that works out with regard to, uh, you know, the field of competition rules. Uh, there are also some transfer rules that are on the docket uh, as well uh, that will be determined. And, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it. And then uh, Friday, I'll be uh, driving back from uh, beautiful uh, Sandestin and uh, getting back to work on some baseball. All righty. Is there anything else that I haven't touched on that's been talked about over the last couple of days? I think that's about it. It's been very, like I said, um, you know, we, we got quite a few coaches uh, on Tuesday. And then uh, today in the lobby, kind of in the afternoon, we got the rest of the SEC coaches. Pretty much most of the SEC coaches spoke in some form or fashion. Uh, I think Mark Stoops was probably the only one from Kentucky that we we didn't get, but it seemed like everybody else was here. And a few basketball coaches talked. And 
had a chance to talk to Todd Golden, I think Lamont Parrish from South Carolina, um, you know, Bruce Pearl uh, was here and, and John Calipari. So uh, it's been a pretty uh, it's been a pretty eventful couple of days. And it's certainly been uh, an interesting uh, first week here in Destin uh, covering uh, covering the SEC spring meetings. Alrighty, And as always, all of Kevin's work can be found at Gainesville.com and Gatorsports.com. And Kevin, as always, tell people where they can find you on social media. Yeah, at Kevin Brockway G1 is my Twitter feed, and uh, Gatorsports.com is uh, is where you can find me. Alrighty, Well, that's great, Kevin. I do appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you in the not-so-distant future because the Gators, I'll tell you what, they'll be flying out to Utah before we know it for that Thursday, August 31st season opener. Kevin, as always, I appreciate you joining me. All right. Thank you, Tim. And that will do it for another edition of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and a quote noted economist and author Thomas Sowell, people who enjoy meetings should not be in charge of anything. As someone who's been in his fair share of meetings over time, I couldn't agree more. Thanks for listening, and join me again next time.